0: Hello, and welcome to the events podcast. I'm coming to you from Prague on Wednesday, the 3rd of October. It's a cold, blustery, rainy Prague. We had a big heat wave this summer, and now winter has firmly hit us. So I'm in my office here in Letna. I'm here early in the morning, seven o'clock, so I've got some calls to Australia. So just recording the intro to this podcast. This week, I had the pleasure to talk with Joe Glover. Joe's a really interesting guy. He's only 26, but he's already very entrepreneurial. He got involved in the business of software conference, which is a big deal in the in the software industry, and he really pushed the marketing of this software. So he, he talks a lot about some great tips for marketing big conferences. He then founded his own sequence of events called the Marketing Meetup, which he runs across the UK. They're events for marketing people, obviously. And it's really interesting how he sets up the event, how he builds a sense of community and how he promotes them. So I think anyone running any kind of meetups is going to find something really interesting from this interview. The podcast is brought to you by Eventsframe. Uh, that's the software I'm involved in. We think it's really an amazing system, and a lot of big conferences are using it. I'm CEO of a company called Apps Events, and we run over 300 conferences and training events a year as a Google partner. And we tried every software ticketing product out there. We tried Eventframe, we tried Eventscrace, we tried Bizaboo. Nothing was working, the prices were crazy. So we wanted to set up a system that was great for running events, whether it's one event or multiple events with flat low pricing. So no ticket fees, you just pay a monthly fee or an annual fee. So if you're running any event, I'd love you to get in touch with me and I'll send you a special discount if you just send me an email to dan at eventsframe.com, D-A-N at E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com with the subject line podcast. I'll send you a special discount code for EventsFrame. So have a great day, everyone. And here's the interview with Joe Glover. Hello, and welcome to the Events Podcast. And today I'm speaking with Joe Glover in the UK. And Joe runs the Marketing Meetup, which is a series of events all around the UK uh, for marketing professionals. So hi, Joe. How are you, doing? Hey,
1: Dan. Very well. How are you?
0: good. Good. Um, Joe, we've spoken a few times. I think you got in touch with me because I was on the Tropical NBA podcast, which you listened to. And I think you got in touch with me after that, and we've had a bit of a backwards and forwards about different things since then. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, I listened to that podcast, and uh, it was just one of those moments, you know, where I'm sat there in my car and uh, I was thinking, that guy's me, but he's, he's me in 10 years' time, you know. So, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad for you, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like I like the Tropical NBA. I listen to it every Friday. I think it comes out Thursday, but um, I've got a couple of podcasts that are kind of part of my week. I always listen to This Week in Tech on Mondays on The Way to Work, and then I always listen to The Tropical MBA on Fridays as well.
1: Nice. Yeah, I mean, podcasts have been a a huge part of my life, especially quite recently. So I I always listen to them on the train. I can't say I've been particularly disciplined with a schedule. That's quite impressive there, Dan. It's
0: not really, (laughs) yeah, it's not a schedule. It's just like... Maybe it is, I suppose, because I, I just, you know, I've got an office now in Prague and I drive in every day. It's, it's not a very long drive. It's only 20 minutes. But, you know, I always listen to something on the way. So kind of Monday morning, I'm like, oh, this we can take a new episode. I'll listen to it, you know. <laughs>
1: nice. um, we'll
0: have to the uh, the Marketing Meetup podcast next as well. Yeah. Do you have a podcast, do you? Yeah, we do. We
1: well, do. I see it on the website.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, let, let's take a step back, Joseph. Tell us like what. You know, because we've talked before, and you know, you're quite interesting in that. You know, you've you got into entrepreneurial things quite early. So, do you want to start like you know after school or university, or how you got into doing stuff?
1: Sure. So, I'm 26 now, so I've been graduated four years, or graduated four years ago. Well, you've right?
0: done a lot already for 26. <laughs> <That's pretty impressive.
1: laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I look about 40. So, uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> no, <you're... laughs> all the youthful looks. But anyway, I graduated four years ago, and and I went into SAP consulting, and I, I was sort of sold on a line about you know the money that people would earn. And did did uh, I
0: tell you that I was an SAP consultant as well?
1: I think you said IT consultant. I didn't know. I SA- was
0: an SAP consultant <laughs> for over 10 years. I, was, I worked for Deloitte, and then I was a freelancer, SAP FICO modules. And I, I worked all around the world. I did it for yeah, over 10 years at SAP. Nice.
1: Well, you lasted longer than I did. I was about three months. Yeah. <laughs> and what were you? Were you, were you based at Habap, or what did you do? So we worked with a tech called BPC. Right, which was, I can't even remember now. We were, we were working in FTSE companies doing their accounting software, basically. And my role, you know, as a graduate, so I just came in and I was a, a note-taker, really. A highly charged uh, note-taker. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I got into it just I was kind of fairly techie. And then people, I just kept reading about SAP consultants making all this money. It's really, that's, oh, yeah. the, har, that's the harsh truth of it. I can't, and, and also, it was the money and it was the travel because I was always into travel. And, and, and I saw these contracts appearing everywhere. There used to be a website called JobServe, but probably still is. And um, that I had all the contracts on. And every contract was three to six months, you know. Yeah. So I went to some cool places. I worked in the Caribbean. I worked in Silicon Valley. I worked in Asia. All, everywhere in Europe, you know, just, uh, and that's what I liked about it. But the work itself... Like at a certain point, I was like, "If I have to look at the SAP admin console one more time, I'm just gonna like shoot myself." It was got too much. yeah.
1: No, you win. I think the most glamorous place I went to was Slough. So um, right, I
0: worked s- in Slough as well. Actually, I've been to Slough. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with Slough, but it's it's certainly not the Caribbean. So,
0: sure. uh, so, 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 you did a bit of SAP consulting.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, I just quickly worked out it wasn't for me. So I was um, I was still blogging about marketing at the time. Right. So i did done my dissertation on social media, and specifically social media complaining. And I just knew that was something I enjoyed. And I, I also thought- Social that,
0: media complaining?
1: Yeah. Well, the idea behind it was that I was trying to understand you know, how people use social media. And, and when they're complaining, it's quite a, an emotionally charged moment. So you're kind of getting a concentrated dosage of social media and social media usage as such. So that's the reason I, I focused on complaining. So- it was really interesting, you know, and it sort of it showed to me that I was really interested in social media, but also, you know, that there might be something that I could contribute to the field as well. Quite a lot of stuff at the time wasn't stuff that people were writing about very much. There was a few leaders, but not many, you know. Of course, which is the opposite now, but um, at the time it was sort of it was a new thing. You know, what's,
0: what, what, what's the blog? What's what URL? Are these blog posts still out there?
1: <laughs> I don't even know. I, I think it's probably something like. JosephineGlover.wordpress.com or something. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: it was one of those really rubbish blogs. You so know, you,
0: you were doing this while you were SAP consulting, then?
1: Yeah, yeah, right. and you know, it, it just showed me that really, if I was spending my spare time writing about a topic, and I should probably follow my heart into that. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in marketing, and specifically, I ended up interviewing for a role and. My later boss, Mark Littlewood at Business of Software, took a chance on me. You I know, mean, he must have seen something at me. Uh, so, so,
0: how did it happen? So, he, he saw you. He saw you via the blog, or how, how, how did that go?
1: I think it was just through a recruitment site, from August. So, my then girlfriend, now wife, was working in Cambridge. So, I looked for jobs in Cambridge because I was previously working in London, and. I just saw the opportunity came up on a recruitment site. So, right. I just,
0: so, so, so you saw a job advertised and you got in touch with Mark from business of software.
1: That's it precisely. And uh, it was a cold winter's night and I walked into the red gate building. Cause at the time that's where business of software had some office space and I was completely green, but you know, Mark was sort of willing to take a, you know, take a hit on me really. And that was kind of where my, events history started really
0: so just just to sort of it, people who don't know the business of software conferences it's kind of a big deal in in the SaaS software as a service area it's they have a conference well two that i know about one in the us one in the uk and i think i told you i i co-founded Microconf europe with rob and mike and that's kind of a similar thing a smaller version that's kind of a more boutique version of business of software but it's an interesting conference so 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 tell me what like did you help set up the UK one or what was your role and, and what was business of software doing when when you joined
1: So I was the marketing I started out as a marketing assistant and then moved up to marketing manager And, and how then, many
0: how many people were in there like so just talk us through how how did it look we had an office in London is that right they were they were running both conferences out of the London office
1: So we were based in Cambridge Yeah um, Cambridge sorry. It's a really small team the team at the time it was four people Yeah So it was uh, Mark who's the CEO and just like the most creative human being you'll ever meet in your life. You know, his his brain works in a way. I've never met anyone else's brain work before.
0: That's
1: cool. We've got Wendy who organized the events and she was based in the States in San Francisco. And likewise, just the most fastidiously detailed, but incredible human being out there. And then there was my manager at the time. And then Following when they left, then I took over the marketing. So trying to sort of fill the room, so to speak.
0: So it was already set up for the US and the UK conferences were already going when you got involved.
1: Yeah, so the UK conference been going for about three years and BOSS itself, the USA event, which was sort of the, the granddaddy of them, was going for about eight years at the time I, I joined. Right. And it was the 10th the one was my final one there. And, you know, it was just an incredible place so
0: sorry to, to jump in so just tell us like so when you joined what were they doing for them like what was the main marketing approach they they started off with and then what did you what sort of stuff did you bring in i'm curious because it's interesting how big conferences you know there's a different type of marketing there's obviously the social media but then there's a lot of just cold calling potential people to, to go to the conference you know so I'm, I'm curious what was their approach to get people
1: so it wasn't a big conference in the way that you know some people speak about having a what, ten, what sort of numbers was it? It was about 400 people. 400
0: people. That. Oh, that's, that's a pretty medium-sized conference, I'd say. Medium to large, yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, certainly we marketed ourselves on, you know, being the best for those certain people rather than the biggest. And, you know, the best meant that we provide providing an environment where those people went in and they felt looked after.
0: And those and, people are entrepreneurs who started their own software companies, basically, the customers.
1: Yeah, the sweet spot was technical founders who sort of grew their company to about five, ten people, and then were starting to look at themselves and sort of go, "Okay, well, I've got a company now, but I don't really know how to run a company." So even though it wasn't, um, it wasn't a conference. Even though it was business and software, it wasn't about the software aspect; it was about the business aspect. So you know, from inspiring through to marketing and what
0: marketing channels were were they using? And what was the how was how were they mainly getting people?
1: So the primary way was emails at the right. time, and
0: pre GDPR, you could do a lot more.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think you know we were pleased that we we never bought any lists or anything like that. It was never an email. It was never an approach like that.
0: So you, you were look, you were searching for potential companies who had this, you know, you thought they a company between five p five to ten people and a technical co founder, technical founder, and and you were just looking for an email address and called cold call cold emailing them basically.
1: No, the other way around. It was a far more inbound approach, business to software. So the, the approach was that to, over the course of the event, we recorded the talks and then released the talks throughout the course of the year. And, you know, that was really the main way we, we gained email lists. Uh, so so
0: you released them and then posted did a blog post and people had to enter their email to get access to the
1: talk, was that? Uh, precisely that, yeah. yeah. So we, we used uh, Wistia to host the videos on yeah one of the cool features about wistia is that you can put a gateway on there so you play for five minutes and after five minutes you sort of say hey you're enjoying this hit this email hit your email address and then you can watch the rest for free and you know that and, was, okay. and how are you promoting the
0: videos then were they just was that organic or were you paying for ads and stuff or how was that getting out there
1: it was boss was incredibly lucky in a way and, and i appreciate this might not be a useful thing for everyone who's listening but we had a legacy audience you know it'd already been running for 8 years
0: exactly that, that that's the point because i mean the, the approach you would have been using in years 1 and 2 probably was a lot more just calling people up emailing them posting on forums that kind of thing you know
1: for sure yeah, yeah i mean we were lucky in that years 1 and 2 we had the backing of Joel Spolsky. so yes. he Joel was, from
0: Fogbugs, I think, is that right? And Trello?
1: Fog Creek. I think Fog, Creeks. Fog Creek yeah. software, yeah. But Fog
0: yeah. wasn't Fogbugs the bug tracking software he, he did?
1: No idea, actually. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> so um, the founder of Business for Software was a guy called Neil Davidson who also started Redgate Software. Yeah. So Joel and Neil were sort of I don't know whether they were friends, but they certainly knew each other.
0: And that, Joel, that, that's huge. Having someone like Joel, because I mean, the thing about microconf is, you know, Rob Walling has an audience uh, already. You know, uh, sure. through through the podcast, you know, startups for the rest of us, and, and different things he's done. So that's like an interesting thing. People looking to do conferences is like. It's ten times harder if you don't already have an audience. <laughs> that's that's the key thing. You know, you can still do it, and tons of people do it. But it's a lot more legwork to do that. You know, and, right. and if you're thinking of doing a conference, anything you can start doing now to start building your audience is is key as well in terms of getting a blog, getting whether it's podcast or video content or whatever.
1: Well, you know, that's that's how the m- momentum was continued in in the later years. You know, sort of through using the blog content, you know, to sort of engage people and engage new people.
0: So, so, so you were just doing, so you were doing these videos, you were recording them at the conference and then sort of yep. gradually releasing them and you were also writing blog posts as well.
1: Yeah. And we also started doing like webinars and stuff like that. So hangouts with the, the attendees, uh, not the attendees, so the, the speakers. So I remember in one of my first weeks we had a, a live webinar with Rand Fishkin and I was the one that was charged, with making sure all the technology worked and stuff like that. Right. So it yeah. was awesome. That's a moment.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what? What else? So anything? Any anything new you brought in? Obviously, you're a social media guy. What did you bring us some new stuff with social media marketing?
1: You know, if I had my time again, I think I would have been a lot more measured and, and process driven with it. At the time, you know, I sort of walked into a new job, new career, and it was very much this is the way things have worked well, so we're going to continue doing more of that. Yeah, and the, really, the the main benefit I bought in brought in at that stage of my life was. Let's do that, but let's do it slightly better. So, Yeah, which
0: which, to be honest is like, if you have something that works, there's no reason to change it a lot of time.
1: For sure. You know, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, that you should always be looking to improve. So, you know, we were looking to see how we could improve our social media posting rather than just broadcasting, sort of engage people in conversations and trying to make it a more community feel. One example that we did is that we opened a Slack channel. On the conference day itself in two thousand, I don't even know when. But in in the ninth event, we had like a Slack channel where people could speak to each other, and we tried to encourage people to use that throughout the course of the year as well. So it was almost like that real community feel and sort of
0: that's interesting. Cause that's something I haven't heard before. So you've you you had a Slack channel and you kept that like, going through the year. Yeah, so- just, I've just got. I'm kind of I'm kind of a late convert. Slack. Like I've just been getting into it in the past <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's brilliant. You know. I'd be lying if I said that it was uh, really, really successful. But during the course of the event, it was brilliant. You know, people were speaking to each other who wouldn't have done otherwise. Was there much
0: dialogue went on between the attendees like after after the conference?
1: So after the conference, there was an element of it. It was sort of like a bubbling undercurrent. You know, you get like days where there'll be like some stuff said and then there'll be other days where there was just, you know, nothing. But that was fine. You know, the facility was there. And that's very much like the marketing meetup too, you know. So I've got a Facebook group. Well,
0: that's, that's the fun. thing because I was going to say, like, because I've got a Facebook group for events for you know, our SaaS for ticketing, and I'm actually going to set up an events a Facebook group for this podcast, which is kind of the Slack channel. I mean, you could do it as well, but it might just if yeah. you've got a Facebook group, do you need it? As a question,
1: I'm a big fan of you know just doing a couple of things really well rather than you know half assing yeah. Um So that's the reason I don't have a, a Twitter feed or an Instagram channel and stuff like that because. There's no need to, you know, the goals. The goals of the marketing meter are such that they're not supported by those channels. Sure. well, um,
0: well let's take that. We haven't got that yet. Let's let's finish <laughs> the, uh, the business itself. I, mean. <laughs> I, I want to hear about it for sure. So what? Um, so you did that a couple of years. What? Um, did did you move do a different role or did you just you, you kept doing the marketing and then you decided to move on at a certain point?
1: Yeah, you know, it was very much. You know, I'd, I'd had a brilliant education at Boston. I was so lucky to be exposed to so many great marketing thinkers, people like Rand Fishkin, Seth Godin, Joanna Weeb. Seth Godin speak at the event. Yeah, he spoke oh, there. Oh, wow! Fantastic. So, yeah, He's yeah, a legend. So Rory Sutherland, you know, just these insane speakers. It was just a brilliant education for someone at that stage. If did, did
0: you go out to the U.S. conference every year as well? I did. Yeah, yeah. Where was it held? Is it was it Massachusetts? Or does it move around?
1: Yeah, it's always so. The previous load of events have been at the Seaport Hotel in Boston. Right, Boston's just an amazing city. You know, it's got a real nice continental feel to it. I think I really like it. So yeah, it's been there every year. I think they did do one year where they this was before my time where they scaled it up to about eight hundred people, and they just found that that intimacy and that sort of real connection with the attendees, it wasn't the same. And They sort of decided to take it back to the seaport the following year because it wasn't so much about the attendee numbers as it was the attendee experience.
0: You know, I have you know my opinion about whether to move the venue or keep it is I like events that move. Like for example, I'm in the Dynamite Circle, you know, which is the group that Dan and Ian from Tropical MBA they have a group, and they have a conference every year in Bangkok, which I'm going to this year in October. Yeah, and, and that's been in the same hotel. It, it was in a different as the first three years. Now it's been in the same hotel for like three or four years. And I find it makes it a bit stale. I mean, I'll still go to the conference and it's still a great event and I love it socially, but I think it's cool to move it around, you know. Now there's the downside of that is it's a huge pain in the butt, you know, <laughs> yeah. having logistics of dealing with a new hotel, a new gotcha. hotel, you know, new, not knowing the city for networking parties, not knowing just every, how everything works, you know. But I, I think it's a bit more adventurous. I mean, there's another conference... I go to EACOS. It, it it's like an international school tech conference, and they rotate it between a few cities: they, Kuala okay. Lumpur, um, Bangkok. I think I think a couple more in Asia, maybe Singapore. Uh, and I like that approach. But I, I know, but it's interesting that you said that people preferred the atmosphere of the same place, which which is interesting.
1: I, I think some people described it as like coming home. Yeah, you know, I can definitely empathise with that sort of stale if, feeling.
0: If, it, if it's a cool hotel and it's nice complex and just oh, people yeah. like it, then then I could see that. I guess.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see both sides. I mean, it's one of those things that it depends, I think, on your positioning, really. You know, it depends what you're trying to provide your audience, you know. And and if the venue is like a huge part of like the excitement, et cetera, et cetera, then that's probably, you know, something you want to look at. You know, should I be moving my venue more often? If you're trying to community around a specific point or a specific point in someone's life, then maybe, you know the same venue is fine you know because you do get that sort of coming home sort of feeling
0: yeah it's interesting because part of the whole conference experience is, is going for a weekend away somewhere you know so yeah, a certain sure. amount of people like to go and visit somewhere new because they combine the conference with seeing seeing somewhere new and yeah. and, and, a, and a certain sort of people like you said they just just want to just want to go to the same place and keep it simple
1: that's it um, yeah
0: yeah, cool. Uh, I mean, there's, uh, there's other conferences. I mean, DefCon, you know, the hacker conference, which which I go to sometimes. So that's in Vegas. It's always in Vegas, but they move it around for different hotels, so they keep the same city, yeah. so everyone has the Vegas experience. But you know, they move it around, which which makes it interesting as well.
1: For sure. Yeah, you know, I could really see the benefit. I mean, there's a ginormous pain in the ass from the event organizers' side of things, but I could see the benefit. I guess you leave yourself open to comparison. If one year was in a particularly good venue and then the next one was in a slightly worse venue, then the other side could be, you know, that's true. A, it wasn't as good as last year type thing, which every event organizer hates to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing you could ever hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. So tell us about how you moved on and the marketing meetup, which we can talk about, which you run as sort of a part-time thing. How, how did you leave Business of Software and what was your next move?
1: So it kind of overlapped a little bit. So I started the marketing meetup at the end of my time at Business of Software and that was just a side thing and the reason i started it was that i was a solo marketer and this is
0: at the marketingmeetup.com
1: yeah i was a solo marketer i didn't have a network in my local area and i wanted somewhere to learn but i wanted to do it in an environment that was probably conducive to me being a bit of an introvert as well you know i, I sort of wanted it to be a comfortable safe place where people could come and sort of meet each other within a certain set of rules you know because even though i've been running Events by that point for two three years, I still hadn't really found my flow as far as networking went, yeah, it's
0: interesting. The first interview I did, which if you listen if you check out the events podcast was someone called Gemma Stowe, and she runs meetups for female introvert entrepreneurs, which is even more specific than you, but she you know she she said she wanted a certain structure to it, so people kind of felt at home and if they were introverted as well,
1: for sure, I, you know, I think it kind of comes to that point that you know, in my mind, at least the best businesses are made by people who have that pain point, And then they kind of stumble onto the business at a later point, you know, the same way that you've got your ticketing platform, you know, presumably you've used a whole load of ticketing platforms and then you're like, well, you know what? I feel like this could be done better. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's it's true. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, so you you started this as a meetup. That was the first thing. No, not as a Facebook group or website. You just thought, I'm going to do a meetup in in my local town for marketers.
1: Yeah, so I'd actually, I'd actually started a a football meetup first, so soccer for anyone that's, uh, yeah. you know, going to taint my sport. <laughs> um, and I, I had the meetup subscription, and it's not particularly cheap. So I thought, what the so this thing? is meetup dot Yeah, meetup.com. What, what do they um, charge actually? Out of interest, I think it was like it was either like sixty or eighty quid for six months. I think right. But two years out of uni, I wasn't earning loads, so you know, it was sort of just an opportunity to meet some new people. And it was a bit of an investment at the time. So there wasn't any penalty for starting more than one group. So I started the football group and then the marketing meetup and the football group went well. And then I had to give it up because the marketing meetup started going really, really well. So so Um, tell us,
0: what what did you do? What was the first event you did and how did you, where did you do it? How did you promote it? And how many people came?
1: So I was quite fortunate in that I had contacts at Redgate from my time at Business of Software. And what's Redgate? Redgate's a software company in Cambridge, and they do SQL tools. I'm probably butchering this because I don't really, I'm involved in that world quite as well. But um, they, as far as I know, they do SQL tools for Windows stuff. Um, But they've got this amazing building, which is sort of, uh, you know, really decked out, you know, real techie building, you know, for, you know, with all the perks, including, you know, bacon at breakfast and, you know, proper lunches at lunchtime and just a wicked culture. And I was fortunate. I tried to book out the space downstairs, which had a maximum space of 30 people, but it wasn't available the night I wanted it. So I ended up taking the space upstairs, which got about 150 people. So
0: they give you the space for free? Yeah, they do. Yeah. One thing I always talk about is, you know, try to get a free venue if you're starting
1: off with an event. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's it's a huge expense if you're not doing that. So And the risk as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think there's enough businesses and co working spaces and whatever town, else
0: town halls, schools, church, like, church halls. There's it. a lot of places that you can negotiate a slow fee or free, or you, you know, maybe you go work, paint the walls and do something for them in return. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of options.
1: That's it. You know, you got to think about how can I benefit the space as well? And yeah, they were exactly. looking for to hire marketing people.
0: Yeah, so, well, it's perfect. Yeah, perfect. So so how did you promote this event and wh- how did you organize? How did you structure it?
1: So there were two main ways I promoted it. So the first way was through meetup.com itself. And the main benefit to meetup.com is that it's a pre-populated platform in that, you know, people are on it, people are searching for events and it's quite low friction to join an event and sort of sign up to come to your first one. So that was a huge benefit. So I kind of put the marketing meetup on a bit of a whim but within a couple of weeks, I had a hundred members, and I was like, "Well, I better start doing something about this now." Right. Uh, so that was the first way, and then the second way was through LinkedIn. So I just went onto LinkedIn and typed. This is in,
0: interesting for me because I'm just getting started on LinkedIn uh, really, marketing. Yeah, so I'm going to ask, probably ask you some questions about this. Yeah. Okay. Second message was LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, so I literally just went through and put like a, a filter on marketing in the Cambridge area. And then I just messaged everyone, you know, very like low pressure, but hey, I'm starting this thing. I'd love it if you could come.
0: So how did you message them? yet? You sent them friend requests?
1: Yeah, I sent them connection requests.
0: Did you you purchase LinkedIn sales navigators to do this?
1: No, I didn't. Tool
0: I've been looking at.
1: Yeah, I didn't at the time. It was was all the free version. Um, You could definitely do that. I've got sales navigator now, but it's more for my day job than it is for the meetup. And... You know, I, I just messaged these people with that in the connection request. And some people ignored me. Some people said, yeah, I'd love to come. And some people said, no, thank you. And to the people I said, no, thank you. I said, that's absolutely fine. But would you mind telling your team? And, you know, some did and some didn't. But as it resulted, there was about 50 people at the first event.
0: 50 people. Great. And and, and I guess the, the sponsor who provided the space gave catering or some drinks and things as well.
1: Yeah, so I needed to find a, so Redgate provided space, but they didn't uh, provide the drinks. So I needed someone to pay for that. So I just thought, again, you know, who could benefit from speaking to a whole load of marketers? And there's a brilliant recruitment company in Cambridge called Brand Recruitment. And, you know, they were a perfect fit. You know, I sort of just said to them, look, I'm looking to bring together a group of marketers every month. Do you want to sponsor? And it was like literally 200 quid. But it was, you know, just a, a an opportunity for them to get in front of those people uh, in a non in a non salesy way, though, and that's one of the very important things about the marketing meetup. It's not a sales environment. You know, people come as people, and I sort of describe it as a house of ideas. You know, once you walk through those doors, it's not about your job title, it's not about the company you work for, it's about the ideas in your head.
0: Um, yeah, I think I think running. You know, some events have people who are kind of pitch from the stage and, and I just never like a sales event if it's not explicitly promoted as a, as a sales event where someone's trying to sell something, you know, there, there's events that are, you know, I've gone to like meetups for Salesforce or different things where, you know, that's, they're selling Salesforce, you know, yeah. but I don't, I don't like going to any kind of meetup where someone's pitching me something and I didn't, that's, you know, not what I, even if it's free, I guess, I mean, yeah. you, you, you expect it more when you're free because something's got to pay for it, but I, I still don't like it.
1: No, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, you just got to think of it in the same way as you think about any human relationship. And you wouldn't enter a human relationship saying one thing and then doing another. You know, you'd, you'd just be honest and you'd treat them with respect and you'd be nice to people, you know. And I think that's the same way that I think about my events, you know, that if I was treating it to one person, you know, what would I want that person to feel? And I want them to feel respected and liked and like they've gained something from it. So let's provide them the moment to do that.
0: Great. So, so you did one. Uh, who spoke at the event? How did you structure the format?
1: So the format is sort of half an hour to an hour of networking at the beginning. Uh, very informal. There's free alcohol and free food. And then two talks, two 20-minute talks. I think the first ones were on PR and social media. And I tried to pitch it at sort of like an intermediate level knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So I say to people, spend the first five minutes laying the foundations before we start moving into the more in-depth thing. Because my audience varies by geography, which is really interesting. Yeah. But one of the things that I found is that there's some freelancers in the audience and then there's some B2B marketers. So I try to make it that as many people as possible can gain something from the talks. And then after the talks, there's just more networking afterwards. But I think the really crucial thing is, is the atmosphere, really, in that. People come in, they're respected and it's an inclusive environment where everyone's welcomed as guests rather than I don't know, you know, someone it's either someone to be sold out to or, you know, just a number, you know. It's sort yeah. of it, it's a real community.
0: That's cool. So did you always plan on doing more events or did you just did the one and it went well and you thought, I'm gonna
1: do more? Yeah, it was it was a complete accident really. It just went well, so I enjoyed it. It was pushing me, so I thought, you know, let's do more. Precisely that really.
0: Yeah. And so what was what was the next event? And tell me how you grew it to more events. So
1: in terms of location.
0: What was your thought process? Did you think I'm going to do another one in the same place or I'm going to spread this out to different places? How did you grow? Because I know then you eventually got some people, partners to run local ones as well at some point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the next, I think I had it in my head for some reason that I just wanted it monthly. There wasn't really much of a logic behind it. It just seemed like the right court sort of cadence.
0: It's a good time, definitely. Less than a month is is, is really short, obviously.
1: Yeah, precisely. And, and, you know, I think it was something I was doing on the side as well. So I didn't want to overwhelm myself, especially. <laughs> yeah. any. So that continued for about 10 months, you know. And, I was still trying to fulfil my goals, you know, of, of having that place where I could learn from other people. So you, like,
0: you kept doing this every month for ten months. You just kept repeating the same process, different talks.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Was, and and really, I was curating the talks as my cheat code to marketing. Really, you know, I was curating them on the stuff that I was interested in at the time. Um,
0: Definitely. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the reason I do this podcast. I get to learn things from people I talk to, you know, it's just the same as someone listening, hopefully, learn something, you know, <laughs> like it's completely selfish because I get to learn things as well, which is cool.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's the best way to do it, you know, and if you can't find it, then do it yourself. I think that's the best yeah. Way.
0: And, and, and where do you, in between, where were you keeping the discussion going online? Was it on meetup.com or in your Facebook
1: group? Initially, it was meetup.com. And then I think within about six months, I opened up the Facebook group. and. That's an interesting thing because it's not really, you know, it's not the most active Facebook group in the world, but it's useful for people when they need it.
0: Now, I'm just setting one up for the podcast, like we talked about. Do you think it's good to make it so you have to approve the people to give some kind of exclusivity and that you have to actually approve them? 100%. Yeah,
1: I really think that's a great idea. And, um, you know, I've joined some fantastic Facebook groups that are really, really lively and they all do that as well. Sometimes so,
0: you ask some questions on membership. Can you just give a quick description of what what you do, whatever?
1: Yeah, I haven't done that. Uh, I'd be interested to know, if, you know, if
0: people found it useful or not. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I suppose if you're gonna if you're gonna do any kind of ad targeting, you know, to the people in the group, which some people yeah. would do, I guess, which which people. No, I mean, there's not. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this because you're gonna get ads, whatever. But I guess I know some people uh, with Facebook ads. You can you can target members of a group, you know. So I guess if you're doing that, you want to be sure that people in the group are. The people to target the ads to. If you're selling that service to a sponsor, you know.
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's not something I've explored. Just yet, but yeah. maybe someday, you know, but it would definitely be useful. And that's cool. one of the flaws of the meetup platform, in that you only get a name. So when someone asked me the other day, you know, what job titles do you get, you know, for a sponsorship discussion, then I was sort of saying, well, my feeling is it's xxx. You don't get that demographic data on anything other than, you know, you have to do additional surveys or you have to sort of record it somehow yeah. yourself.
0: Sure, we did that on, on our system events for him, we we put in the option options. You can have multiple questions because everyone all the when people register for an event, the organizer wants to get different information like what's a job for example what's a job title or even like dietary requirements you know if, if, if you've yeah. got serving food and stuff so that like that came up early days so you you did it every month were you getting the same people come or like new people all the time and how were you promoting it as an ongoing basis you said you were using LinkedIn and meetup in the beginning was that your approach as you continued
1: yeah so there is a core there's probably a core of about fifty percent who who stay every time 50%, and, okay, then, cool. and then the other half are made up of you know, uh, newbies. So worked about anywhere between 120 and 170 people coming to the Cambridge one each month now. And yeah, about half of those are new and half old. And in terms of ongoing sort of marketing, it was quite opportunistic with it really, because it was a side, it was a side business. So, you know, I mostly relied on word of mouth, but then I did little things like I got some business cards printed which said, I think you'll really, really, really like this. And then it was just like the marketing meetup on the back, and then it just had a link to it. And the idea was that I handed it out to every attendee, and then they they had to hand it out to a friend or a colleague. Right. And that's like just an attempt at like exponential growth, really, you know, that if they handed it to two people, then, you know, suddenly the group would be three times. Did
0: did it work? Was there any success? Or
1: it's difficult to track, I guess. It is difficult to track. I mean, I saw a boost, you know, but at the same time, the group was seeming to grow quite well because right. the event itself was, you know, seemed to be enjoyable to a lot of people. So, and,
0: and, and how are you getting your presenters? Were you getting people to come for free to present? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess
1: you were getting a lot of the audience were were
0: emailing you saying, "Can I? Can I speak?"
1: Absolutely. You know, is it, the benefit of doing a local group is that you're able to get to know quite a lot of people quite quickly. Yeah. And it's not the biggest conference in the world, you know, it's not one of these ones that people aspire to speak at for a lifetime, you know, it's a nice proving ground for a lot of speakers. And that's how you set the expectation. You know, yeah, it's that
0: good go. to create an opportunity because a lot of people want to get started in in speaking at events. And if you've got an event which is a bit more low pressure, that's, that's good. a good way for them to get going.
1: That's it. You know, and, and it goes back to that thing, you know, that everyone's got an idea and, you know, it's just a platform to share them. So... Yeah, speakers was a really easy thing to do.
0: Great. So how did you start growing it outside of Cambridge? I mean, it still is predominantly Cambridge, isn't it? But I know you've got some other venues and you've partnered with some people. How did did that go? And I know it's a work in progress, but I'm just curious to see what what you've done
1: so far. Yeah, so after about 10 events, I decided to expand it to Norwich, basically just because it was good fun. So it's now in Norwich, Cambridge, London, Bedford and Birmingham. And the Bedford and Birmingham ones are, for lack of a better word, franchises in that they're being run by other people. Uh,
0: And how did that that come about, the whole franchise model?
1: Franchise model was a byproduct of people coming to me and sort of saying, this is great, you know, you should do it in this area. And I'm like, yeah, that's fab, you know, but I haven't got any time really. Do you want to do it? You know, so, you know, I know these people having them been to the event, they've enjoyed the event, they understand what it's about. And the fact that they've been proactive enough to sort of come up to me and approach me sort of indicates that they're willing to put a bit of time into it. as well, well. The
0: one piece of advice I give you is just work for people on one event. Try it out. Because a lot of people can act keen and then do nothing. And it's, you know, the yeah. best way is to start small and then work with people more and more when they've, you know, proved that they're, they're keen, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that piece of advice. I, I emailed you about that, didn't I? No, yeah, yeah. Really appreciated that but it, it has gone wrong. So the first one was, one, it always will. It always will. <laughs> yeah. The first one was in Dorset. It just didn't turn out, you know, the lady was really lovely and I'm a big fan of hers, but you know, she just didn't have time. Um, yeah. so that was the lesson learned, you know, that, you know, when I'm having these conversations, you really need to sort of establish whether they're going to
0: have the time. Oh, it's a it's time management as well. I know I know, people are going to email me saying, well, I work this many hours and I can't do it. But, you know, <laughs> Rich Branson gets things done, you know, and I'm, I'm sure he's got a pretty full schedule. You know, like there's some people yeah. can just get a lot of things done. It's just a, and, and if there's a skill, you can learn this to some extent, you know, I think. But it's time yeah. management as much as time often.
1: That's it. We're, we're all busy, you know, but I, I generally think that, activity fills the space that's given yes you know, if you think if about you
0: fill the task to what is it you, the task expands to fill, fit the time allotted or something
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if someone said that to it before then they probably said it somewhere more they couldn't be the but <laughs> you know it's it's exactly that you know that I think people you know everyone likes to think they're busy but then go home and watch two hours of tv or something like that you know and yeah it's probably when I get a lot of the meat at work done you know just sort of sat in front of the TV and there's nothing much going on, you know, so I'll send an email to the group or something like that. Sure, sure. You know, that's pretty much how it happens. And- so
0: let's, let's talk monetizing then. So you've like, yeah. how, have you, obviously, you know, the way you can monetize an event is you can charge to come to the event, you can get sponsors yeah. for the event. I mean, they're the two main ways, I guess. So what, what did you do? Uh, and, and was there any financial arrangement between these people who ran the other events for you, the franchisees?
1: Yeah. So I've monetized it through sponsorship and right. that's a general sponsorship of a specific geographical area. Got it. So for example, brand sponsor, all of them, but each one has a separate price tag.
0: And I guess having the red, was it Redcar? What was the company called again?
1: Redgate. Redgate.
0: I mean, they're a great sponsor and also the recruitment agency is a good sponsor because No one gets annoyed about getting job offers, really. You know, I mean, you you can get a few recruitment consultants who might harass you a bit much, but still, it doesn't really bother you because it's a job offer, you know, and people want jobs. So that's a good sponsor, I would say. Yeah,
1: for sure. You know, and I think one of the brilliant things about the sponsors has been so far is that they've been relatively low touch and they've kind of left me to it. So they haven't demanded my list from me. They haven't demanded... That's
0: unusual. A lot of sponsors want the email list. They want the people's list. That's good. Do they come and mingle?
1: Yeah, they come and mingle. And, you know, I say that everyone can come. So, for example, I had this conversation with one of the sponsors who their competitors would come in. And I said to them, you know, yes, their competitors are coming, but I'm not going to ban them. I'm just going to elevate you.
0: And do, and do so, you announce from the stage this is sponsored by so and so? Thanks very much. Give them, a, uh, give them a shout
1: out. Yeah, every event. They're on way. the slides, they're in the emails, and they get a shout out. And, you know, more than that, over time. So I look for my sponsors to be sponsors for a long time rather than one-off because I kind of feel like there's a benefit there that people get to learn their name over time. Sure. I'm actually not a big fan myself because I'm a marketing manager in my day job. I'm not a big fan of sponsorship on a one-off basis because I think, you know, you kind of, if, for example, you go to an awards show, you have your 10 seconds up on stage where you announce a trophy for someone and you know, people are probably drinking. They probably don't care who you are. They don't care if they don't win the award. And they certainly don't remember who you are. No, you know So, It's in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of sort of one off sponsorship. No, no right. I
0: haven't. I mean, in my events company, Apps Events, we have Acer as a sponsor. We have a few of it, We have a company called Text Help. We have a company called RM in the UK. And they, they sponsor. Well, ASA sponsored the whole world, all our events, because we do events, you know, Asia, South America, U.S., Middle East, Europe, Africa, and some some of them just sponsor the U.K. or Europe or the U.S. You know, and that's that's good because it's it's a ongoing relationship where you know you can if they don't get something out of one event, you know, they can get something out of other events.
1: Exactly. You know, it, it's it's one of the things that I, it's an interesting thing, and I don't think I've ever really nailed it in my mind. You know, where the benefit um of sponsoring single events is. You know, I I love that, you know, you have that relationship with them because I think, you know, that only stands to benefit them sure. more.
0: So people listen to this going, Joe, that sounds really cool. How do I get these sponsors in the first place?
1: I think you have to think about how they're going to fit. So for me, I did a little exercise, you know, which was literally just writing down places or companies who might benefit from gaining access to a, a vast amount of marketers. And then that comes down to your, that comes down to your positioning, but the reason why you're doing the event in the first place. So for me, I knew I wanted to be a marketing professional, so that was quite an easy thing to follow on, you know, that marketing people are going to come along to it. Um, so
0: you drew up a list of companies, and then you drew up a list of job roles within the company.
1: It wasn't even as as crazy as that, you know, I literally approached the CEOs of these places and just said, you know, I'm doing this thing, are you interested? Um, and how did
0: you approach them? Was that LinkedIn or how did you do that?
1: Yeah, it was mainly, it was LinkedIn, actually. I yeah. think it was entirely LinkedIn.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and it was one of these things that eventually word spread. So I think in the, the first event, I had Redgate and Brand. And then in the second event, I had Redgate, Brand, and Cambridge Marketing College, um, who provide like marketing qualifications, and and so on and so forth. You know, it was all people that would eventually have an interest in speaking to marketers, in you know, and sort of getting their brand out there to those people.
0: That's cool, and and what about the the franchisees? Did you did you do some financial arrangement there? Like, did they have to get the sponsors, or did you get the sponsors for them, or did you? And did you split the revenue. How, how does how does that work? So I, I know it's a work in progress, but what what's, what are you what have you done so far? I'm curious.
1: So my thought process at the moment is that they'll get the sponsors, and that seems to have worked so far. Because having listened to you on the tropical MBA, you know, sort of speaking about empowering people to treat their franchise as their own business. I really like that thought, you know, I want people to sort of think the same about that, you know, that they've got the freedom to kind of speak to people on behalf of the marketing meetup and sort of really be free to do that.
0: And and, and, and just what you're referring to, you know, with Apps Events, we have a bunch of regions, each person runs it like their own business and and we do a profit share. But the thing you have to remember about that is... um, I still pay these guys every month, yes. you know, so they, they, they've got something, I mean, and, and, and we started small, like I recommended to you, you know, we worked on more things. It wasn't just somebody cold. I started paying them, you know, but, yeah. but they do have effectively a salary every month, you know, as well as a profit share. Yeah. And that's something to, always to remember, you know, if you're starting something cold, and you're just offering a profit share, then it's 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 harder, you know. It'll be easier for you, I think, because you've got a known product, and and they can benefit from that rather than just starting up something cold, you know. But I think it's always important to think what can you offer the person upfront, or you know, whether it's help, or whether it's money, or whether it's whatever.
1: Yeah, sure, and you know, I think that's it. Goes back to that thing. I don't think that someone starting a marketing meetup event will be if their motivation for doing it was the money, then that's not the right motivation. You know, the people that are running these franchises are people who are looking to build their network primarily. And then the money is like an afterthought or oh, it's a nice thing to be done.
0: Yeah, it, it should always be with events. I mean, you know, like people ask me, you know, are, you, are you making money from these events? And, and we do, you know, we, make, we make money from it. It's a business. I think there's probably ways I could make more money doing, doing different things, but it's still a business. you know? yeah, And yeah. what I find strange about the whole events industry in general, it's not really one industry, but you know, the whole space is that, everyone's desperate to say they don't make any money or they're not doing it for the money. Even, you know, and I'm not saying you are or I am, but, but it's right. an interesting psychology because, you know, you want people to come to your community and get a lot out of it as a community event. But, you know, people think, well, if people think I'm making money out of this, it doesn't look quite cool. So, I mean, I know people making a crap load of money at events who are desperately saying they don't make any money. And it's just not true sometimes, you know, or they don't oh. want to, you know, and it's, it's an interesting how, way this whole thing works. I've, I've, I've observed it quite a bit and it, it fascinates me.
1: Yeah, okay. I, you know, I think that's it's a human thing, isn't it? And for my mind, I, I've got no problem saying I make money on it because I work bloody hard at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know?
0: sure. And the end of the end, the end, I mean, mar- the goal of marketing is to make money. I guess that is the end result of of, of marketing is yeah. to generate business for you know income for the business. That's why it exists.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, on on one level, in, indeed, you know, it's uh, that's what it's there for. So. You know, I've, I've got no problem saying I make money from it. And so the way that I split it with the franchisees is on a 70-30 basis. So they get 70, I get 30. That's cool. Uh, Very generous. Well, you know, it as I say, it's not a crap load of money. You know, I'm, no, still, sure. I'm still working full time and, and really that's not why they're doing it. But if they get a bit of pocket money, you know, if it's anywhere from 500 quid to a couple of grand a month, you know, yep. then that's pretty good for most people. You know, and if they keep their jobs, then, then then that's that, you know. So one of the chaps that's a franchisee is interested in running a few at that point, you know, it could, could become a business, you know, or likewise, if we can find the right sponsors and, and we can continue to provide the adequate level of value for these, for sponsors to get out of it, then, you know, it might be that one event. One locale is enough to sort of be someone's wage or something like that. You
0: yeah. know, it's interesting, like in terms of for you, if you decide to try to do this as a full time thing or not, I think, you know, I've, I've met people running quite big businesses that still have a full time job, you know. And I think yeah. it, the, the good thing about that in a way is like it makes you systemize and automate the business to some extent because you've got the job, you know. And maybe you never leave a job if you like it, or maybe, but even if you do leave the job, if it's automated, you'll have a lot more free time, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I run around like a headless chicken. Uh, I still do to some extent, but a lot more in the beginning, you know, just doing everything. And now I'm just trying to systemize it because so I've got two businesses. So I've got to have more time free. Plus, I've got a you know baby and different things going on in my life. So I'm kind of late to a systemizing game, but I think it's really important. And if you can do it up front, then, you know, maybe you can have a huge business and you, you keep your job or you give it up, but, but it doesn't matter.
1: Absolutely. I read a, um, uh, I listened to a Tim Ferriss podcast, which was like 10 businesses that make a million plus a year with no effort or, or something like that. It was, it wasn't that, but it was something similar. I want to
0: listen to that. Can you send uh, me a link to that? Cause I listened to his podcast quite a bit. I've, maybe I've even listened to it.
1: I'll, I'll send you a link, but it was yeah, really, yeah. Anyway, you know, in that, you know, there are these businesses out there that I think, you know, he uses the term amuse business, doesn't he? You know, yes. where sort of like a side business that, you know, someone runs in the background and eventually, you know, it provides them the income that they can, they can do whatever they want. you know. Sure. And, and, I think there's definitely those things out there. And the meetups now I've got to the point where because they've got that momentum behind them, I'm probably spending no more than three hours per week sort of managing them actively. You know, and there's like little bits of passive work that I'll do on it, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. But really, other than the events themselves, there's not a huge amount of work at the front end other than sort of emailing the group to let them know the next events on.
0: Sure, sure. Um, have, have you had events where you've managed to not even go yourself?
1: Uh, I had one, but it was a mistake. So England were in the World Cup semi-finals, and I scheduled an event for the same day. And there was just no way that it was going to get <laughs> out. So I rearranged it and then realized about 10 minutes later that it was the same time as a holiday. So I was able to lean on the community and sort of get them to sort of lead it themselves. Which I mean, was that's amazing.
0: the next way you can scale it. I, I would suggest is getting events because now most of my events run without me and, and probably better than if I was there, you know, so I think that's definitely the next step. <laughs>
1: For sure. You know, I, I think it's it's one thing to sort of have your idea, but it's another one to sort of let it go and let other people's creativity sort of enhance it. And I think there's, you know, as event organisers, we could all be doing a little bit more of letting go and sort of letting other people have a crack at it. Because I always get feedback from people with great ideas. that I just, you know, I wish I could implement, but I'm sure they'd almost, they'd almost be better at implementing it than I would, you know, yeah, in a way. For time. sure. So, yeah.
0: Look, Joe, that's really, really great to chat. Is there anything you want to promote, any links or anything, or any, any events you want to tell people about?
1: So, you know, the Marketing Meetup as a brand, I guess, is just expanding now, you know, and I'm looking for people to come to the events. So they're in Cambridge, Norwich, Birmingham, Bedford, and London. Uh, so I'd love people to come to more of those. And also the podcast, the Marketing Meetup podcast, where I record all the talks, and that's available everywhere, so the talks are recorded and then distributed.
0: How, how do you record the talks? Just technically, what how do you do it? And do you get a lot of background noise, or, or do you do lapel mics, or, or what's a I uh,
1: I use a Yeti mic, which so it's a Yeti Blue. It's the moment. I, I used to have that, but I
0: found that just awful. Maybe I wasn't using it right, but it just picks up everything. That's the that's the, the good and the bad of it.
1: I'm not sure. You know, it's not amazing quality, but the whole thing about the meetup is that it's fairly homely, fairly low route not lowbrow, lowbrow is the wrong word, but you know, it's a homely patchwork put together with love, you know, and, and really that's, that's the key message behind it, you know, that you're trying to provide value, but you're doing it for the right reasons. And so it might be that it's, it's an eight out of 10 in terms of conference quality in terms of organization, but you know what, it's been put together in such a way that it's there for you. And, you know, so long as people come in and sort of feel like, there for them and they're being looked after in the right, right way. And I think a lot of people are quite forgiving of that kind of thing. Definitely. I'd be quite interested in people's feedback anyway cool. on whether it's completely unlistable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, look, cheers, Joe. That's been a pleasure to talk and all the best and good luck with the marketing
1: leader. Sweet. Likewise. Sounds like you're doing great stuff. Do
0: you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame event ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com